Wonderful. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a real privilege to be with you this morning. I'm sorry about the pandemic, but I'm delighted that I get to be here more. And uh, it is just a privilege to come share the Word of God with you today. I do not take it lightly. Uh, although we are local and we live nearby, it's a huge privilege, and I do take it very seriously. And we are grateful just for the opportunity to be together and to be able to invest and challenge together in this great journey of following Jesus. And uh, we delight in some of the new ventures you guys are entering into, and we're delighted that it's a boat and not a rocket because we need to stay here and not go into infinity or whatever it is. But uh, sorry, that was just a joke. But uh, yeah, we encourage, we're cheering you along. It's awesome to be investing in what it is God's called you to. And that's what I love about this church is that you are seriously wanting to be what God's called you to be and keep moving into what's still to come and not just talking about what was. And uh, that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, always future-focused, regardless of our history. And we have some good history. I'm sure some of you just don't like your history. Others are indifferent about it. The awesomeness about what we do is we're always about the next and the future. And we live for the day of the return of Jesus. That's the ultimate of what we're about. And so I wanted to say, well done. Continue to keep doing what it is God's called you to do. Learn from others, but be authentic and stay true to the call that he has for this church, this gathering, this people. And so even in what I want to share this morning, I trust you'll uh, embrace it for this people, for you in this room, rather than try and let's mimic someone else. Let's just stay true to who God's called us to be. The best you can be is be who God's called you to be. That's the freedom and the joy of every congregation, every local church, just functioning in the freedom of what we've been called to. So it's good news, and it's a great privilege to be with you. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you please to go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And while you turn there, I want to read a scripture just to give us a context for what I want to share this morning. And I think the guys leading worship have done a great job keeping our eyes on Jesus, and I love the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to speak around this morning. And um, yeah, let me just read this in the context. And just remember this. Whenever you open your Bible, God opens His mouth. All right? These are not just some truths that we hold to. These are truths that are spoken by God. God speaks when we open His Word. And so please allow God to speak and remind and challenge and show. But as you turn to Acts chapter 1, I want to read Colossians 1 quickly to you. And it says this, Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. It says, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He may have supremacy preeminence. That in everything, all things, Jesus Christ will have first place. Not a place. Not some place, but first place in everything. 
here's the challenge for us in this season that we've been through and, and the challenge that the church has faced globally, but also us as a nation, our church, the church in America, has faced some challenges through this last three years. And it's been insane. It's been crazy. But the church has been forced to pivot. The question I have for you this morning is, have you pivoted? That God has moved His church, in a sense, from Jesus being prominent to Jesus being preeminent again. In other words, not Jesus having a place, Jesus having first place. Has He taken first place again in your life this morning and in this local church? Not does Jesus have a place, a role, first place in everything. And so there's been the shift that God has moved us from a place to first place. And that's an essential thing, I believe, for us going forward. I want to say that a correct view of Jesus will give us a correct view of everything else. And that's why I'm highlighting this before I get to what I want to share this morning. Because if we see Jesus where He's seated and His role in all of this, then we will find the revelation of the Holy Spirit and His role in playing in the things that God has for us. All right? So, prominence to preeminence. A place to first place. Another shifting in the season is that in, we've had to pivot from doing church to actually being the church. And that sounds cliche, but it's not. We were very good as the church at doing church on Sundays. Having gatherings, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad you're here this morning. But, but it's like when that was stopped for a moment, many churches began to question the very existence of why they were here. And God allowed some of that. I don't believe He caused it, but He allowed it. So the church would move back from just not having church, but being the church. And so have you pivoted, not from having church, but being the church seven days a week, every day of the week, we are the church. We don't cease to be the church, and we're only the church when we gather. So we've got to shift our focus, thinking that only on Sundays in this gathering, in this building, will God use us to reach people. You'll not reach people in this building. You'll reach people from this building. And so we've got to shift our thinking. And have you pivoted, or do you still have this going to church mentality rather than being the church mentality. But I can challenge us this morning. The thing we need more than Christian books and Christian media and Christian movies and Christian music and Christian governments and Christian politicians and Christian businesses, we need Christian Christians. We all want someone else to take the... We need to be who God's called us to be. And that's what it means to shift from doing church to being the church. We've had to move from methods and focusing on methods and become so focused on how we do stuff that we forget why we do stuff. People lose their way when they lose their why, right? And it seems like we're so focused on the, on the methodology and how we go about doing it that we've actually, God's pivoted us from methods back to mission, taken us back to why we do what we do. And I want to suggest we can find fresh strategies and even this um, preschool and all the kindergarten, all the stuff you guys, it's a mission. It's another method of the mission. It's not the focus. It's we having fresh strategies in God. And how do we fulfill this mission that God's given us? And so keep your eyes on the mission, not on the methods. Don't get caught up in methods. And it seems like God shifted us back to the Great Commission and the reason we're existent and why we're here as the church. And I love that. But the one I want to speak about this morning is that God has moved us from what we can do to, in a sense, what it is 
He can do when we are greater dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to speak around this morning. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, very well-known text and quoted, I know, by many, but, but it says this, It's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And what God was actually saying is, it's not by the might of your people. And somehow we still think the size of our gatherings will determine the success of what we get to do. And I want to just tell you this morning, you will never be big enough. Even if you were millions of people in this room, it's not enough. Because what he's saying, it's not by the might of your people. So please, in our Babylonian thinking and our big thinking, don't think your numbers determine what God's called you to. You'll never be big enough. It's not by the might of the people. Not against big, but my faith's not in big. My faith's in God. Are you there? Is yours there, or is it when we get bigger? No, no. When you get back to what you're called to, understand, it's not by might, nor by power. And what he was saying was to King Cyrus, it's not in your position and authority as the king. It's not going to come by your people or by your position. Do you hear that, church? It's not your position that's going to get the job done, nor your might, nor your people, but by my spirit is what God says. Not a spirit, not some spirit, not the spirit of the sage. My spirit is what he says will happen. And if I can be very honest this morning, it seems that much of the church today is dominated more by the spirit of this age than it is by the spirit of Christ. Philip Yancey said, a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. If we don't acknowledge the supernatural, then what we do is we take the natural and elevate it to that supernatural status. And while that is happening in our world and our society, the downside is it happens in the church too. If we're not recognizing supernatural, we begin to elevate the natural gifts and the people, and, the, and we begin to so honor what man can do, we negate what it is God's called us to. Are you, are you with me, friends? I know I'm intense this morning. I'm trying not to be, but these truths matter so much. And I think just for this great future God's called His church to, this church to, it's going to require a people who will not look to what the world's called us to or what the world says we could do, or even the church or the gifts that we carry. It's the Spirit in us, a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit to activate and to take us where He's called us to go and to see the fruit and the results that He's called us to have. You know, I, I do believe that the greatest threat to the Word of God is not necessarily those who outright oppose it. And there are many in our nation who don't believe the Word of God is true and they oppose it. But they're not the greatest threat to the Word of God. I believe the greatest threat to the Word of God is those who claim to believe it but are ignorant to what it really says. And I want to just maybe trample on some toes this morning and say, you might in this room this morning say, Amen, brother. Preach it, brother. I believe the Bible. But I'm challenging you this morning. Do you know what it actually says, especially when it comes to the truth and the reality of who the Holy Spirit is? 
I'm no expert, but I want to tell you, I know the Bible, and I want to just bring something of what the Word of God says and challenge some of the theologies we've been given, and not challenge the heart of those people who've taught us, challenge the truth by going back to the truth, the Word of God. But here, here, there's, I'm not a statistics guy, but I began to preach some of this, and then someone heard me preach this and sent me the latest statistics, and they shocked me to say, keep preaching. And it was the Christian Post in September 2021, which is a few months ago, maybe five or six months ago, this survey was done here in our great nation. So this isn't from the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. This was a few months ago. This is where the church is at today in America. And the title of this Christian Post was this. Most adults, U.S. Christians, don't believe that the Holy Spirit is real. Most U.S. Christian adults do not believe that the Holy Spirit is real. That is the title of this article from a survey. And it's this. A new study from Arizona Christian University shows of an estimated 176 million American adults who identify as Christian, just 6% or 15 million, so 15 million of 176 million, actually hold a biblical worldview. I mean, this is devastating news. And I'm not freaked out. I'm saying we need to fix it. And how do we fix it? By going back to what God's Word says and making sure we don't live on experience or upbringing or history, but keep coming back to God's Word so we know what it says. So when we say, I believe it, I know what I believe because I know what it says, not what I've been taught by someone. It says, conducted in February, the survey included a national representative sample of 2,000 adults from right across the United States. And the study shows that while a majority of Americans who self-identify as Christians believe that God is all-powerful, He's all-knowing, and He's the creator of the universe, more than half reject a number of biblical teachings and principles, including the existence of of the Holy Spirit. Now, and now let me just say this. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit is simply a blessing from God, which many believe He is, well, then we have the right to reject His existence. But I want to tell you this morning, He's not a blessing from God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now we have facing a whole different question and understanding. And my challenge to us is what will we do with God, the Holy Spirit? What will we do with something I know we don't fully understand, and I know that most people don't fully understand it, so therefore because we don't understand it, we're far more comfortable to just say it doesn't exist, not for me, I'm not understanding, but I'll continue running with something else. Well, I want to tell you the Lord will not allow His church to resist the acknowledging and the understanding and the walking with God, the Holy Spirit. You see, in 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You there? The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He is not just some Spirit, not some ghost. He's God. 
We believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in a triune God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And someone said this, if you try and explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. And so we don't fully understand this, but here's the best I can come up with, is that what God planned for you, Jesus purchased for you, and the Holy Spirit personalizes it in you. In other words, they all play roles in our salvation. They all play equal roles, but they different roles. Like, like for me, I am one man, right? You know that, right? Just so you know. I'm not, but, but I'm a, a son, I'm a father, and I'm a husband to that beautiful lady over there. Same dude, three different roles. And in a sense, that's the best I can come up with with you this morning, is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all three are to be acknowledged, it says in Scripture, to be honored. All three carry the same attributes. They're all equal, co-equal, co-heirs. And they need to be acknowledged and honored and worshiped in all areas. And they all play their role. They all know their role. And we can't just resist or ignore the existence of the Holy Spirit because we don't understand. We need to come back to all three. And we can't reject because we don't understand. We're going to come back to what does God the Father have to say about God the Holy Spirit through His Word. And I can't do that this morning in the few moments I have. I'm challenging you to go back to the Scripture and ask God the Father to show you through the Holy Spirit and through the Son of what it is the role of the Holy Spirit is and how essential He is in your life and in mine. Are you there, friends? Acts chapter 1. I gave you a lot of time to turn there, so if you haven't got there, just bear with me. Um, See, many of us believe in a Trinitarian God, but we live a binitarian life, meaning God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, yeah, but we like the God the Father, God the Son, because we don't understand God the Holy Spirit. Okay, He might be real, and, but we don't understand Him, so let's reject Him. Like the statistics show us, the majority of U.S. Christians reject the existence of the Holy Spirit. That's a dangerous thing. So Acts chapter 1, and I want to just talk for a moment about some of the signs of a spiritful church, all right? I'm sure you've all heard some of these things, and maybe I've grown up in this, all right? I've got to be honest. I've heard about a spiritful church for 50 years, going on 50 now, so... Believe it or not, can you believe this body? I mean, anyway, okay, sorry. That's. But, you know, I, I come from an experience where my dad, I've, he was in ministry from the day I was born. My accent is because I was born in Africa, raised in Australia, and now live in the great nation of the United States, greatest nation in the world. And I'm the only American that believes that. <laughs> we got issues, but every other nation does. Don't even let me start. Okay. I love this nation and so does God. And I'm delighted to be living and leading and preaching and living in this great country without issue. And I'm delighted the last three years I've had to invest in this nation because I've seen a lot of good regardless of all the bad that's been described out there. And this I know, God is not done with this nation and God has shaken the church in this nation and the government and everything else to bring us back to where's your faith? And it better not be in the church or your government or whatever else you're looking at, but Jesus and Jesus alone. Now it's time for the church to function because we know where our faith is and where, who it's in. But I grew up in then. My dad was a missionary and born on the mission field. And 
And my dad got saved into incredibly legalistic denominations. And I'm not here to dishonor. I'm here to just bring reality of what I grew up in. And it was very much, eh, very legalistic. And he was saved from radical life of freedom into this bondage and control. And not judging the people, just not judging their heart, just judging their theology was not right. And the one thing about the Holy Spirit was they were taught the Holy Spirit is kind of one of these, not necessary anymore. He's part of your salvation. But to be honest, he doesn't, and this whole tongues thing and whatever you do, that is of the devil. Not just weird, it's of the devil. And so my dad, being an honorable man, saved into that, preached that because that's what he was taught. But he did look at the Bible. He did look at the book of Acts like we're looking at this morning. And most, theolo- uh, most seminaries say, you know, don't read the book of Acts. It's not relevant. It is relevant. It's the outworking of everything else we want to see happen. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the early church. It's birth in power. It's all this stuff. It's apostolic ministry. It's mission. It's local church. It's all in there. The, the outworking of what we believe in the New Testament. No wonder they don't want us to look at it. And he did look at something in the Bible, believe it or not. And he was looking in Scripture, longing for what he saw. And he began reading through the book of Acts, going, oh man, I I long for this. I know we're not allowed this, and I know we're not supposed to be talking about this, but it's in there, and I long for this. He was reading through the book of Acts, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, and the tongues, and speaking in tongues. and And he longed for what he saw, and said, Lord, I want this. If this is you, give it to me. And guess what happened? Filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues. Now, you've got to understand, that man's not weird. That is, he's going to hell, according to the denomination he's a part of. Not just weird. No one taught him. No one laid hands on him. He was by himself, in his parish, in his study, studying the Scriptures, daring to look at the book of Acts. And he longed for something that God gave him the longing for, and then God fulfilled it by giving him fulfillment in the longing. And he began to speak in a different language. No one taught him Honolulu and Suzuki and Honda and all that nonsense, Waikiki, and we kind of tell people what to say to get this language as heavenly. Nonsense. No wonder we're scared of the nonsense. Because it's not, it's, you can't catch this. You have it because it's heaven. But he spoke in tongues. And so being an honorable man, he phoned his, his moderator and said, we've got to catch up. So the moderators came straight down, met with my dad, and they said, okay, what's the problem? He said, well, I did look at the Bible, I did look at Scripture, and I did re- read through the book of Acts, even though we're not supposed to. And I saw something in there that I le- began to long for, and God honored me in it by giving me what I longed for. And here's the deal. I now speak in tongues. So according to us, I'm going to hell. The moderator was quite not happy, let's just put it that way, going, okay, listen, we need to sort this out. So here's what the moderator decided. If you... Sign an agreement and promise to never do this again. We'll just pretend it never happened and we'll move on. I mean, that was the answer to what God did. And my dad, in that moment, said, Sir, with all due respect, you're not hearing me. God did this and I want more of this. And by the way, why am I wearing this garb and this Batman and Robin outfit he called in? Why am I wearing back-to-front collars, and why do people have to call me reverent? All this man-made, not judging the heart, but man-made structure, all this stuff we bring into the church. Suddenly he began to see, empowered by the Spirit, something's wrong here. This is not in Scripture. This is controlling. This is not from God. Amazing what happens. 
and the Spirit really takes hold of you, how you begin to see the religious practice in the church. That's why they don't want us to look at it. But that's why God wants you to receive it. And so they said, he said, I'm out. So we obviously got kicked out of that place and moved to another one, and they embraced us, same thing. Anyway, the point being, my dad got to a place saying, hey, I just want to do what the Bible says. If it's in there, we go for it. If it's not, we run away from it. That's it. And that's still the reality this morning for you and I in this room. Not what have you been taught, who taught you. What does the Bible say? Have you dared going back to Scripture and ask God the Father what He has to say about God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? Because I'm telling you, friends, the church needs to be coming back to signs of a true spiritful church. Not stuff we've learned, not stuff we've heard, not something we're running after, something that is relevant and real in everyday congregations and everyday church, including Impact Rock Church. Signs of a spiritual church. And all I want to do is go back to the Bible, read some texts, and then just make some comments of what that might look like. Then we go and be it so God can use us far more effectively into the future He has for us. Acts chapter 1 in verse 3, it says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love that Jesus went about proving he's alive. I do believe it's our responsibility not just to tell people, but to demonstrate and show people he's alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by His own authority. That's none of your business. None of your. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know this, friends, but that Greek word is the word, Greek word for power is dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. And I'm nervous to say that because most people think that means we spiritually get to blow stuff up. That's not what it means. No wonder people are freaked out about the Holy Spirit because we're messing it all up because we've out misunderstood the word. The word has more to do with ability than it has to do with blowing things up. And so they asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And Jesus says, not for you to know that stuff. That's my father's business. But you're going to receive power, dunamis, ability. You're going to receive ability when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be, not go do witnessing, be witnesses. You see, I'm convinced when you're empowered by the Spirit, your identity is a witness. It's not something we tag on to our lives, oh, we better get on with mission. He said, when you're filled with power, you will be witnesses. It was their identity. And I think a lot of us have been taught, add on mission, rather than when you are empowered by the Spirit, your identity is you're a witness of Jesus. That's what we need in the church more and more. You see, Jesus had finished all his work, and he was ready to return to glory, but he knew these believers were not ready to go out into the world with their own power or strength. 
He had already given them authority. So I want to say to you this morning, authority is not enough. We all have authority in Christ, and we love that, and in Christ, and in Christ, and in in the power of His name. But He said to them, your authority, my authority, is not enough. You can't just walk around with authority. You need power. Are you there? And I'm telling you this morning, He's telling us again, we cannot do this with just authority. You need power, enabling, not enabling, His enabling. Now, there's some of us maybe in this room who've been taught, and I'm, again, not questioning the hearts of those people. I'm challenging the truth of those people. What does God say? But there are those who said, you know, the, Bible, the Holy Spirit doesn't really need it. He doesn't exist anymore. And what early, How many of you believe that the church needs more flesh? Put your hand up, please. Please don't put your hand up because we need not more flesh in the church. Look at the church and wonder why. Too much flesh. So some of us, as I've been taught, well, we don't really need the Spirit, and He's not really relevant today. We've got the Word of God. Yeah, that's great. We still need the power. We still need His presence. We still need His enabling. Same thing they needed is what we need. How can God ask of you and I to fulfill what the early church was fulfilling? But by the way, this time, do it in your own strength, because I'm taking the power away. Insane thinking, yet being taught that, and we just believe it because someone taught us that. What does God teach? Are you there, my dear friends? We need power. We need enabling. We cannot do this without Him. We can have great social clubs and gatherings and meetings, but we know better than anyone else if we don't have power. And He knows that. That's why He said, I'm going to give you power. Wait till you receive power. Is that all right? See, they needed a type of power that would literally transform them so they could transform others. They needed something way more than authority. They needed transforming power. And this experience of the Holy Spirit is different from salvation. They already had received the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus had breathed on them earlier, and He said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they already had Him, but the difference is, did the Holy Spirit have them? And I want to tell you this morning, if you're a born-again believer here today, if you're saved, You already have the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what you believe about Him, He played a major role in your salvation. You can't be saved without Him. And so if you're saved, He's already in you. That's not in question. The question this morning is, does He have you? That's what we're talking about this morning. Not do you have Him, does He have you? And that's what we see Jesus saying, wait till He has you. This baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's when you'll be empowered. All right, you with me? We're still friends. So Acts chapter 2, let's quickly go there. Acts chapter 2. So here we see the birthing of the church, but also we see some identifying marks of a spiritual church. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4, all of them. Please say all. All. That's how you say it, so I'm missing. Okay, note this. It wasn't some of them. It wasn't the dudes in the front. It wasn't the leaders. It wasn't the anointed one, the special one who needs the anointing to lead God's people. 
all of the people in that room. All means all. You can decipher that and you can Greek and Hebrew and whatever else. All is all. Everyone in that room, everyone was empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Whoever was in there, women, men, young, old, whoever was there, filled. It's not for a chosen few like some have told us. It's not for the selected few. It's for all God's people, meaning you in this room this morning. If you're part of all, you're all. All, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, can I also say this? I'm convinced that the book of Acts is not a prescriptive book. It's a descriptive book. In other words, there's some who believe that everything that happened in the book of Acts has to happen exactly the same today for it to truly be biblical. Now, I love your thinking, but you're wrong. Because then we all better start wearing robes and all the, non, the, the cultural stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm challenging some of your theology. I'm asking you to read the Bible. Don't be offended by me. I'm just trying to get to something here. But I want to shake us up because... So there are some, maybe you're in this room, saying, well, if it's not what seemed to be tons of fire on your head, if we're not speaking in different languages, well, then it's not really the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, you, your heart is good, but your theology is wrong. Because what you're actually doing is limiting God to how you want God or how you believe God should show up. And you're missing the very gift He's given us every time He shows up. You know, we got three sons, and you've met them, and they're awesome sons, and I love my kids. And, but I don't want any more kids, just so you know, right? And even prophets keep telling us you're going to have more. Well, spiritually, yeah, bring them on, but no more physical. I'm good. So Jude is our youngest son. He's now 15. And we're like, this is our last baby, our last child. I believe I'm done. This is it. So we, I said to Nicole, Jude's first birthday, I'm like, I want to bless Jude. Like, it's our last boy and our last son and our last child. Let's bless him. So we, we bought him this gift, and we wrapped it up for his first birthday, and we gave it to Jude. He was one. And he looked at this gift, and he began to rip it up and love And he, I realized very quick, this boy of ours, he doesn't care about the gift we bought him. He's enamored with the wrapping paper. I'm mean, just telling you, if your child turns one, just give them reams of wrapping paper. Don't get a gift, just... They will love it. You don't need a gift. They just, wow, look at the gift. Look at the wrapping paper. So I was a little distraught by that. I thought, okay, year two. We'll downscale. We'll try it out, but let's wrap. And this time he began looking at the gift. And and I thought, oh, my boy, he's maturing. He's becoming a man. He cares about the gift rather than the wrapping paper. Are you hearing this? Some of us, we want to be so by the book We're missing the gift. We want to be so enamored by the wrapping paper and how it has to happen and what has to happen in order for you to acknowledge it's God. You're missing the gift every time. I mean, there are some ways we can know. And the Bible doesn't even tell us because there's many expressions of the Spirit that we wouldn't be able to identify in Scripture because it's just He can do whatever He wants. He blows as the wind chooses, as a fire, as all these different things that He represents. But this is how we do know it's the Holy Spirit. Who's getting the glory for what's happening? If you read on, it says that they all began to declare the praises of God in other languages. Jesus didn't say when you receive power, you're going to praise God. He said you'll receive power when the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit came on them, their absolute response was, God is awesome declaring the praise of God. Why? Because the natural response to the infilling of the Spirit is God gets the glory. 
So if we want to know if this is really the Holy Spirit, who's getting the glory? And I want to tell you, majority, it's a preacher. Let's go hear that person speak because they carry the anointing. And so we're running after the gift. Or let's, this book I read, has it, yeah, now we're running after the author. Or, or, or the gift, or an apostle, or whatever your thing is. What about a song? I mean, there are some anointed songs. I have people say, gee, this song's so anointed. Who's the anointed one? Jesus. Not the dude who wrote the song or the ch- lady who wrote the song. Thank you for writing that song, but I don't want to. So we make it about the thing rather than about declaring the praises of God. That's how we know whether this is God or not. A certain church gets the glory, no longer the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. He will never take the glory, and He will never give the glory to anyone other than Jesus. He doesn't replace the glory of Jesus. In actual fact, Jesus said He hadn't sent that the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The Spirit came when Jesus was glorified. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. Not to the man, to the gift, or to the woman, or to the preacher, or to the gift, or to the church, or to the song, or glory to Jesus. So we will know if it's really the Holy Spirit, who's getting the glory. What's the response? Declaring the praises of God. That is the response to being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so if you read on, you'll see that these guys began to mock. Something happened in that gathering that spilt out into the streets. Just to tell you, the Holy Spirit doesn't empower us so we can have great meetings. They Something shifted in that gathering and it spilt out into the streets. The city was different because of what God, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit did in the church. It doesn't make sense. Many of us want the Spirit stuff, but we, it's given to us so we can go and spill it out there. And so they began mocking them. I said, the best they could come up with, these men must be drunk. Something's different, just so you know. They weren't the same as when they went in. Something's different, and the best we can come up, they must be drunk. Now, I love that Peter doesn't just leave them thinking they're drunk. See, we have these moments, and people think we're mad because we just leave them. Ah, who cares what they think? It seems like Peter cared. Peter stood up in verse 14. Let me read it to you. And he addresses the crowd of chapter 2. And he says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. We need some more explaining and getting them to listen carefully. But can I suggest, rather than just out there, it needs to be explained first in the church. And that's why we've got to keep coming back to biblical backing for what's happening here. And Peter was able to stand up and say, these men are not drunk like you think. It's only 9 in the morning, which means nothing today. But I guess in those days, no one would be drunk by 9 a.m. Right? That's what he says. These men are not drunk, verse 15. Verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he references what was prophesied about. And there's a backing to what's happening here. God spoke of this. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see vision. And old men will dream dream. Even on my servants, both men and women. Please see this. doesn't discriminate. Everyone. I will pour out my spirit in those days. 
Verse 19, I'll show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus promised. He told them to wait. He promised. The Spirit came. The response was declaring the praise of God. Everyone saw change. They stood up and said, let me explain. Here's what we explain. The outpouring of the Spirit always results in the harvest for salvation. So it's interesting if we just, just the Holy, this Holy Spirit's not really real. We, don't, we deny His existence. We wonder why we're not seeing the results of salvation coming through more and more. It's always for salvation. God cares about all these people in this neighborhood and in this nation and the world. He cares about those people. And part of the outpouring of the Spirit is to see people saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, so you see that. So I, I've got a few moments left. I want to just highlight, and maybe just give you some headlines and comment on a few, and then challenge you to go read this for yourself. But what does a spirit-filled church actually look like? What are some of the signs of a spirit-filled church? And someone said this, that, that if... Um, that the church today is so subnormal that if we ever go back to the New Testament normal, it would seem to most people abnormal because we're so not reflecting the early church because we got so busy with what we can do rather than what the Spirit can do in and through us. So we've got to come back to this. We've got to contend for this and not try and be the early church. Be a Spirit-filled church. What is the signs? What are some signs we can say, well, that's what a spirit-filled church looks like? Not because we were taught this, because this is what the Bible shows us. Well, number one, a spirit-filled church has His presence. See, I've separated power and presence because we too long put them together. And we focus on power at the expense of presence. And they're not the same thing. Now, I'm convinced a spirit-filled church has not a, a presence, not your presence, not some presence, His presence. You know, we're all comfortable with the truth, I think, in the church today. Where the Bible talks about God is omnipresent, meaning God's everywhere. The Scriptures tell us, how can I go from your presence? I'll go to the highest mountain, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there, you're everywhere, you're always everywhere. We love that because that means God's everywhere. We don't really have to do anything with that. But the Bible also clearly speaks about God is omnipresent, but He's also manifested presence. In other words... He's everywhere, but He's also here. And it seems that Scripture is more about the here in re, than it is about everywhere. D does that make sense? We, we're comfortable that He's everywhere, so we don't have to worry. But He's here. What will we do with the God is here? Now we've got to face it. And, and right through Scripture, I mean, in the Garden of Eden, God is here, manifest with His people. Yeah, um, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, God is here. Jesus came, manifest. God is here. And the book of Revelation talks about God is here, coming back for us. You can't escape God being here. And what will we do with God is here? I've said this. I'm putting a study together. I would love to challenge all of us. What would the church look like if it was built to attract God, not just people? 1 Samuel 16, it talks about the heart. That man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I think we're really good, and I'm not mocking, at getting the outward appearance looking so good that people are attracted 
but what about where's God in it? I'm almost challenged to say, let's go after attracting God and see what God will bring rather than let's get people together and hope God's in on it. Does that make sense, friends? You know, um, Moses, when he was called by God in Exodus 33, I want you to do this. And and you know what Moses said? I'm not doing it. Why? Because I'm not going if you don't go with me. It's your presence that distinguishes us as your people. It's your presence that distinguishes us from all other people. And I want to just tell you this morning, I I challenge you, that the, the church is designed for the presence of God. It's not some optional extra we go up. We are carriers of His presence. And I want to ask you, is His presence something important to you? Did you show up? And it's not about a gathering. It's about us always carrying His presence. But did you show up this morning even expecting God to be here? I mean, is it going to be up to the musicians to get us there? Or you, no, no, it's up to us. And so we want people to confess their undefying love for God and all that. But they don't even acknowledge that God's here. And we create all these atmospheres in the church. And, and I'm not anti them. I'm, I'm not. But they... Many people walk away from gatherings saying we encountered God when we didn't. We encountered a, 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 an atmosphere that made us feel good. It's not helping when the shaking comes. All these people that have fallen away, it's because they had atmospheres replacing the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And, and I want to tell you, people will drive far and wide. It's not about a meeting, but they will move, drive past hundreds of churches to come to this church. If this church is serious about the presence and power of God, serious about God is with us everywhere, but God is here. It's not about getting them here. It's getting them to come drink of the living water that you carry because there's an expectation, the presence of God. You can't say you're spirit-filled if you're not presence-filled. You okay? You with me, you friends? We're good friends still, right? This is good news. You know, when it comes to worship, someone said it's the heart, it's not the art. And I, I want to tell you, I love the musicians and they're doing really well, but actually it's not based on their performance. God's not looking at the art of that. We look at that. God looks at the heart. The crisis in the church today is not that we get together, don't get together. It's because when we get together, we don't expect God to be here. Shift your thinking. Let's be not a presence, His presence is with His people Secondly, his power. Not power, his power. <laughs> a sign of early, a, a spiritual church is his presence. Secondly, his power. Not power, not our power, his power. You know, the early church lacked big budgets. I talk to pastors all the time. They're like, if only we had money like the early church. What? You read the Bible. Yeah, they didn't have money. Silver and gold we don't have. Either they lied or they didn't have. So I'm all for money because money helps us. But most people think when we have money, we can do something. Well, the early church didn't have big budgets. Well, if only we had the, the approval from the government like the early church. What? You read the Bible. They didn't have Christian presidents or Christian governors. They were put in jail for what I'm doing right now in this room. They were in prison, beaten, Stone kicked out of cities. Don't say that. Why? Because of what I'm doing today. Do you think they had the backing of their governors and backing of their politicians? This is a phenomenon that didn't exist. And I want that, but that's not going to determine the success of the church and stop thinking it will because the early church didn't have it, yet they could function. 
Well, you know, Tyron, we got such unschooled and unordinary people in our church. If only we had degrees and seminary degrees like the early church. And then you read the early church. Unschooled, ordinary men. You know what I mean? We have this belief of what was. That's not true. Read the Bible. Ignorance is not bliss. (laughs) But what they did have, we have. And it's simply called this, power. We have the same power. We have power. The same power that, in, that the early church was birthed in, I'm absolutely convinced biblically, is the same power we have in this room today. Now, one of the worst things we can do with power, pretend we haven't got it. Because we don't understand, so we just pretend it's not there. It's here with us. And biblically, there's more biblical backing for strange fire than no fire. And I know it's easier to, we don't do the strange things. Strange things did happen there, but they brought glory to Jesus. But no power, no fire, you can't find a biblical backing for that. But we are more comfortable with no fire than some strange stuff. I'm just telling you, it's not biblical. Come back to truth. Come back to the Word of God. Someone said if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the early church to the, uh, the early church, 95% of what that church was doing would stop and everybody would know the difference. But they went on and said, but if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the church today, most of us would not even know the difference. And 95% of what we're doing would just carry on without Him. And I believe this season God's revealed what we are doing without Him needs to stop. And we've got to come back to a greater dependence on leaning on Him for the fruit and the results that He's called us to. More of Him and less of us. You know, too many churches today preach the word with no authority and no power that we were promised from the Holy Spirit. And the tragedy is powerless churches end up relying on human wisdom to see results. And they end up with half-baked Christians. The problem with a half-baked Christian is that they fall away at the first sign of any trouble. Look around. Why? Because we have a, a word people rather than a spirit people. We need both. Someone said, too much word, you dry up. Too much spirit, you blow up. But word and spirit together, you grow up. We need the word and the spirit. Powerful witnessing. Powerful signs and wonders. We can't read the early church and go, well, that's what happened there. God wants it to happen today. Not through the evangelist or the power, the man of power for the hour. Through you, friend, in this room. Signs and wonders and miracles. Prophecies. Powerful deliverance. People in our city need delivering. Healing, spiritual, emotional, physical, whatever you are, we have that power we've been given. Power for transforming power. Power to transform Erie and cities and regions and nations. We're not called to survive this season. We're called by the Holy Spirit, empowered to transform and touch people's lives. Motivational power, friends. We can stand up here and make people feel bad and challenge them, get on the mission. But when you're spirit-filled, you will get on with the mission. There's no greater motivator than the Holy Spirit. Right? People will leave families and friends, even air-conditioned buildings, to cross the sea and spend their lives to serve others. Who does that? The Holy Spirit in us. People will go to great lengths to serve the Lord in a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, purity. His purity. We don't talk enough about this, but it's a sign of a spiritual church. Give me signs and wonders. Give me miracles. Give me His presence. But you've got to be pure people. 
And a sign of a spiritual church is not purity, it's His purity. See, the Holy Spirit cannot save the world with an unclean church. Oh, that got quiet all of a sudden. But I want to challenge you this morning. There's no one in this room who doesn't struggle with sin. I don't care what people say. Oh, you know, you're forgiven of sin. Yeah, you are, but you still struggle with sin. Every one of us, even preachers struggle with sin. And here's the problem, is we've been taught, deal with it, get it dealt with in your own strength. Sort it out. And I want to say, you can't. Flesh, even good flesh, will always give birth to flesh. So stop trying to do it in the flesh. There's someone called the Holy Spirit who's holy. Who I love the picture of fire, what seem to be tongues of fire. You see, fire represents purity. And there's someone who's holy who brings fire to purify us. If you'll yield to the Spirit as, as Lord, He will bring freedom in your life. You can't overcome sin in your own strength or in the name of Jesus alone. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Friends, Please don't try to beat yourself up and try to do better and try to be better. Let there be room for the fire of the Holy Spirit to do. cleanse you. He walks with you. He's not just some force out there. He walks with you and He wants to bring healing and purity to you. I'm a church leader. Okay, let me say this about church leaders. The tragedy in the church is we've got too many broken leaders in the church. Broken or hurt people break and hurt people. The reason being is not because they don't know the truth. It's because they haven't allowed the Spirit to take truth and to bring healing and wholeness to their lives. You, you, you only get what I've got. You don't get what I said. And the reason, not because their hearts are wrong, because they haven't allowed the Spirit to play His role in taking God's truth and making it our own. God wants to bring healing. God wants to restore. God wants to bring brokenness to healing. God wants to help you. The Spirit wants to help you deal with that stuff that's taken you down. Do you see the need for the Spirit? That's why when you reject His existence, good luck with your sin. The devil wants us to reject, but God has given us the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul writes to the, early, to the church in Corinth. These guys were walking in signs and wonders. These have the manifestation, presence of God yet they would not deal with their character. He warned them. And that church never fulfilled what God intended for them because they wouldn't deal with this stuff, purity. It took them out. You can have signs and wonders and miracles. If you're not dealing with these things, you're not a true spiritual church. We need to come back to the transforming and empowering of the Holy Spirit. Purity is sadly missing ingredient in the church today. The Holy Spirit brings purity, cleanses, and refines us. He's got the sanctifying influence. Let me say, expect to live a life of greater purity and sanctification and holiness when you're under the sweet, uh, sweet influence of the Holy Spirit. He'll bring wholeness to people. Number four, quickly, two more. Are you with me? We good? Another sign is His persuading, His convincing, His conviction. You know, it's, it's a word, and I'm just being straight, that's lacking in the church, conviction. Convenience, oh yeah. What everyone else is doing, oh yeah. But conviction, to stand in the truth, on the truth, with the truth, regardless of what comes our way, it seems to be lacking in the church today. Why is that? 
because we're borrowing truth. We're borrowing ideas. We're borrowing what others have taught us rather than convinced by the Holy Spirit. And you want the best teaching on the Holy Spirit? Read what Jesus had to say, John 14, 15, and 16. He speaks about the Holy Spirit, and he says this about the Holy Spirit. He, the Spirit, will take the things that I've shared with you, and he'll make them known to you. In other words, the stuff I've told you, he will bring persuasion and conviction to you. The Holy Spirit convicts people, we know that, but he also convinces us as believers of the truth. And if you would make room for the Holy Spirit to actually convince you, friends, you will stay the course regardless of what comes our way. But when people are falling away all the way, it's because they're living on what they were taught rather than the Spirit made it known to me. He wants to play that role in your life today and going forward. And that's what Jesus made very clear. It's his persuading. Number five, a sign of a spiritual church is his peace. Not peace, his peace. And when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, we see 120 were gathered in the upper room and they were all in one accord. They were all of the same mind and they were at peace with one another. They were united. And with the Holy Spirit comes peace with God. He has a major role in bringing peace to our lives, peace with God. And, and I want to tell you, friend, you'll never have peace with others if you haven't continued to get in peace with God. It comes back. When there's issues and I'm facing on the cold, I realize I, I'm, I need to get back to being peace with God first. That, this will determine that. And the Spirit plays such a role in this, friends. And I mean, I don't want to bring up our, 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 our last few years, but look at the, 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 you, the disunity and the beating each other up across this nation, around the world, in the church. And now we just like spewed out our hate to everyone and we're hating each other. Well, you know why? Because there's lacking of the Spirit. Because when the Spirit is with us, peace with God, peace with each other, peace with the world. We are not like the world, but we're called to live at peace with them. They're not the enemy, and somehow we thought they are, and we are still thinking they are. But when you're led by the Spirit, peace with God, peace with each other. Friends, I can't live with issues with you if I'm at peace with God. The Spirit in me forces me to deal with my issues with you. You know, our level of offendability determines our level of maturity. You want to know if you really have matured? How quickly do you get offended? And I want to tell you, it seems like those who claim to be mature are offended all the time. Something's wrong. Grow up. You know how you grow up? Finding peace with God, peace with each other, peace with the world. That's what's needed. Why is it not there? Because we haven't acknowledged His peace that comes through the Holy Lastly, his passion. A sign of a spiritual church is not a passionate people because we who are passionate can force each other to be passionate in flesh. But his passion, he brings a passion. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine that leads to debauchery, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's passion that comes, his passion in all of us when it's the Holy Spirit. It's abnormal, friends, for a believer to not have a heart for the supernatural. He gave us a heart for the supernatural as believers, and He wants to fill that, and that's where we find our passion, regardless of your personality. 
His passion is what the church needs, and it's a sign of a spiritful church is His passion. Someone said, if a Christian is forbidden to enjoy the wine of the Spirit, well, then they got to turn to the wine of the flesh. So let me land with some of these truths. This baptism of the Spirit will make Jesus increasingly real to you. John 15, verse 26. This baptism of the Holy Spirit will release power and boldness for witnessing. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This baptism will bring revelation. Literally will open up the Bible and make the Bible real to you. It's interesting about the Bible. It's the only book where the author is present when you read it. And the Spirit in us makes the Bible move from a book to this incredible truth that opens up things and shows us. We all need that. It's not enough for Mark or an elder to stand here on a Sunday and preach that to you. You get that when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every time you open the Bible, that's when God wants to speak to you. That's what the Spirit plays a role in those things. It'll make our prayer effective. Romans 8.26 Your prayer life will take effect if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of power helps our infirmity in prayer. The Holy Spirit as the Spirit of life ends our deadness in prayer. The Holy Spirit as the Spirit of wisdom delivers us from ignorance in this holy art of prayer. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of fire delivers us from coldness in prayer. And the holiness is the Spirit of might comes to our aid in weakness as we pray. I'm telling you, friends, our prayer life changes when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you to make right decisions. Romans 8.14, not just this manifestation. He walks with us. He guides us. He leads us. And more than ever, we need to know what, the, what God's called us to. Well, the Spirit will take you in that direction. He will set you free in praise and worship. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And when the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We need to be set free. Some of us, we're going through rituals. I'm not having to go to you. I'm saying, let the Spirit bring life to your worship. Not the motions we go through and lift your hands and sit down and say, let there be life again. The Spirit plays that role in our lives. He'll release into a new praise and prayer language. Tongues. We mentioned it, but just let me go there for a minute. Tongues. We get to speak in tongues, all of us. Now, don't get nervous and start squirming in your chair. I'm not going to force it. You have the privilege of speaking in tongues as a believer. You've probably been taught that's not true. It is true. There's a difference between the gift of tongues and the grace of tongues, as Jack Hayford said. The gift of tongues is something that happens in a meeting like this where someone might speak out in a tongue. Then we need an interpretation. Someone needs to stand up after that and bring the interpretation because it's for the building up and edifying of others. That's why gifts exist. So not everyone has that. Everyone can have that. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. That's separate. What I'm talking is about the grace of tongues where you get to speak in tongues. If you're a born-again believer here this morning, you can speak in tongues as part of your salvation. You don't have to. It's not a sign of your salvation. If you don't speak in tongues, you're still going to heaven. Get that, all right? But why would you not want what God's given you? See these shoes of mine? I, I keep using this illustration. When you buy the shoes, you get the tongues. And the tongues make your shoes fit. 
None of you go and say, hey, cut the tongue out. I want the shoe, but I don't give it the tongue. Some of us have done that to the Lord, saying, look, I don't do the tongue thing because I don't have the gift. You have the shoe with the tongue. And the reason you get to speak in tongues is that you get to edify and build yourself up. Who doesn't want that? Do you want to walk around down and everyone else? And some people say, well, I don't think I have the gift of tongues, but I see you do. Well, that's unfair. Why would God give me the ability to build up myself, but not you? I'm telling you this morning, you get to speak in tongues. It's part of your salvation package. And if you need to get some of that going again, we're happy to pray with you. But I'm not going to give you something or teach you to speak in a language that is heavenly. I'd love to pray with you this morning and activate what's already yours if you would desire that. You get to speak in tongues. He will fill you with God's love and joy. He'll equip you with spiritual gifts. Spiritful church is a church with passion for kingdom advancement. Let's close our eyes if we can. I want to just land with this. Some things that we remember about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is holy. All right? He's not Casper the friendly ghost. He's not some ghost. He's God. He's holy. And the Holy Spirit is grieved when we don't believe God's Word. He's grieved when we resist His leading. He's grieved when we refuse to change. He's grieved when we put his, don't put His will above ours. He's grieved when He's not welcomed in our lives or in our meetings. He's grieved when we're embarrassed of Him. I want to tell you this. He's grieved when we criticize others and servants of God and speak evil of them. He's grieved. Another thing I want to say about the Holy Spirit, He's God. We do not boss Him around. He uses me. I do not use Him. I need to learn from Him. He doesn't need to learn from me. He's not a theory course where all of our thoughts of Him don't make up our lack of Him. He's the point of our teaching of Him. Instruction is useless without Him. Our teaching is to point to Him, but He's the point of the point. (laughs) Can I also say, when His presence comes, it's going to look like something. He doesn't come to divide, but He might, and it's not His fault. You cannot talk a powerful message or preach a powerful message and live a conservative life when it comes to the Holy Spirit's life. And lastly, we don't need the Holy Spirit to come again. We do not need a Pentecost again. We do not need another Pentecost. And I know that there's many who preach that, and I understand why they say that. But theologically, we've just read that Pentecost happened. Meaning, Jesus said, wait, and you'll receive power. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came. He's never left. And so when we say we need another Pentecost, what we're saying is that God took the Holy Spirit away, and He needs to resend Him. No. We don't need another Pentecost. We need to acknowledge Pentecost and recognize the same Spirit then is the same Spirit here. Perhaps some in this room who maybe never, you already have the Holy Spirit if you're saved, but maybe the Holy Spirit's never had you. 
are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I want to encourage you today, if you can be, I'd love to pray with you, pray for you. If you've never spoken in tongues, I'd love to, with the leaders here, pray with you. We would like that. But there's also in Scripture these infillings and refillings. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, they got more fillings later, refillings. I do believe there's a refilling that God wants to give to some of you who are thirsty this morning. Jesus said in John 7, anyone who is thirsty, come and drink. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He said that rivers of living water will flow within your veins. What did he say? If you're thirsty, what is he requiring? Thirst, ask, I'm going to hand the meeting back to Mark. But I want to encourage you to come forward this morning. If you need an infilling or refilling, come forward. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray for you. If you want to speak in tongues and you haven't, come forward. These are not things we're going to try and make happen. We're simply going to activate what's already yours. If you don't want it, that's cool too. But don't walk away and live in subnormal. Don't let the upbringing or the bad experience, don't build a theology out of experience, good or bad. Come back to the Word of God. Say, God, you've spoken today. And I challenge you to go home and read your Word from cover to cover again. Let God show you. Don't do what I ask you. Do what the Bible says. I think we've been taught different truth to the Word of God. The devil's doing his utmost to slant the view of Jesus and the view of the Holy Spirit so we don't walk in love. But the Lord's brought us back in this season. Stay there and let's go after what God has said. Alright, so if you need to come forward, I know it requires boldness, but who cares what others think? Come on forward. I'm with you here. Come to the front if you need prayer for anything of these things. We're not going to prophesy. We're just going to pray. Trust and release and fill. God wants to do this. You can't speak about the Holy Spirit and not give Him a moment to absolutely show you what He's saying. But we're not going to make it happen. So come out if you need to. I'll give it back to Mark. But we'd love to pray for you. Come out. Yeah, well, Mark, thanks.